What would you do if, uh, if you were king for a day? You know, have you ever thought about that? Or, or we, got a, we have an election coming up. I know it's not a presidential election, but if you were president for a day and you could make one executive order, you know, what would that be? And I know some of you have thought about that sort of thing because you're always saying, oh, I could do better than this president or that president or this, you know, congressman or, or whatever it is. Or what if, you know, when you were a kid, you ever play the, the sort of the, the game where if you find a magic lamp, you rub it and the genie comes out and says, I'll grant you three wishes. You know, what would your three wishes have been? Uh, I played that with my friends and I always looked at it like, this is stupid. My own, I only need one wish. I'll just ask for an infinite number of wishes and we're done. You know, and my friend said, that's not fair. You can't do that. Hey, look, it's a made up game. Why can't I make up the rules for it anyway? But anyway, there's, uh, this actually happened uh, in the Old Testament to, uh, to one of the kings. And God came to him and said, ask me for anything that you want and I'll give it to you. And we're going to read about that today as we look at the life of Solomon. And if, if this is your first Sunday with us, uh, we're really glad to have you here. And we are in the middle of a series that we're calling King for a Day. And we're looking at the lives of five different kings from Israel's history in the Old Testament, the Hebrew Scriptures. And they lived 2,500 to 3,000 years ago, depending on which king that we're looking at. And we're asking ourselves, what can we learn from the lives of these, you know, 2,500, 2,700, 3,000 year old kings. What can we take from their lives and apply to our lives today uh, that'll help us to live here in the 21st century? And last week, Rich talked to us about Saul, who was Israel's first king, and he gave us some good uh, ideas from Saul's life. And actually, Saul kind of messed up on a number of occasions, and so he was a good counterexample to the way that we ought to live. And today, we're looking at Israel's third king, King Solomon, who many of you have uh, heard of. And except for Jesus, Solomon was the wisest man that ever lived on the earth. And so we're going to look at wisdom from the perspective of Solomon's life. And shortly after Solomon became king, God appeared to him in a dream, and it's recorded in the book of Second Chronicles chapter 1. And I want to take a look at that. That night, God appeared to Solomon and said to him, ask for me, ask for whatever you want me to give you. Ask me anything, and I'll give it to you. And so Solomon's faced with his decision there, and he responds, and he says, You've shown great kindness to David, my father, and have made me king in his place. Now, Lord God, let your promise to my father David be confirmed, for you have made me king over a people who are as numerous as the dust of the earth. Give me wisdom and knowledge that I may lead this people, for who is able to govern this great people of yours? And God said to Solomon, Since this is your heart's desire and you have not asked for wealth, possessions, or honor, nor for the death of your enemies, and since you have not asked for a long life but for wisdom and knowledge to govern my people over whom I have made you king, therefore wisdom and knowledge will be given you, and I will give you wealth, possessions, and honor, such as no king who was before you ever had and none after you will ever have. So God says to Solomon, ask me for anything. And out of all the things that Solomon could ask for, he asks for wisdom because he says, you know what? This is an impossible, in some sense, this is an impossible task that you've given me to govern these, these people. And so many of the other kings in Israel's history, that's not what they would have asked for. They wouldn't have asked for wisdom. They would have asked for power. They would have asked for great wealth. They would have asked for a large army. They would have asked for, as, as God points out here, they would have asked for the death of their enemies, all sorts of things 
But Solomon asked for none of those. He says, give me wisdom and knowledge so that I can know how to govern the people that you've given me. And God gave Solomon that wisdom. And in fact, if you read through the Old Testament accounts of Solomon's life, you find that kings and queens from different countries around would come to Israel just to meet him and see the wisdom uh, that God had given him. But not only did God give him wisdom, he also gave him riches, he also gave him power, and he gave him a very, very peaceful reign. When you compare Solomon's reign to the rest of the kings of Israel, Solomon's reign was one of the most peaceful reigns of, of all of the kingdoms there during that day. And then Solomon wrote three different books in the Old Testament. The book of Proverbs, which uh, most of us, I think, are at least somewhat familiar with. Several hundred Proverbs in that book that Solomon either wrote or collected. And then he wrote also the book of Ecclesiastes, which is looking at life through the eyes of a guy who didn't always live it the way that he ought to. And Solomon's writing, uh, kind of looking back in, in retrospect and saying, you know, this is the philosophy of life that I followed, but you know what? Ultimately, following after God and doing things his way, that's the way of wisdom. And then he wrote another book uh, called Song of Solomon, which is a great love poem, a great love story. And so Solomon wrote these three different books uh, of wisdom literature in the Old Testament. And so shortly after uh, God had granted Solomon wisdom, Solomon was faced with a, a pretty challenging situation. And every time I read this passage, I'm just kind of blown away by Solomon's wisdom. And the first time I read it, I was just amazed. And still, even this week, as I was reading it several times, it just, it just kind of blew me away to hear what Solomon did. And I want to read this, uh, read this story to you. Now, two prostitutes came to the king and stood before him. One of them said, pardon me, my lord, this woman and I live in the same house. I had a baby while she was there with me. The third day after my child was born, this woman also had a baby. We were alone. There was no one in the house but the two of us. During the night, this woman's son died because she lay on him. So she got up in the middle of the night and took my son from my side while I, your servant, was asleep. She put him by her breast and put her dead son by my breast. The next morning, I got up to nurse my son, and he was dead. But when I looked at him closely in the morning light, I saw that it wasn't the son I had born. The other woman said, no, the living one's my son. The dead one is yours. But the first one insisted, no, the dead one's yours. The living one is mine. And so they argued before the king. And the king said, this one says, my son is alive and your son is dead. Well, the other one says, no, your son is dead and mine is alive. And then the king said, bring me the cotton swabs. And they answered him, the cotton swabs? Yes, the king replied, for I want to take a sample of their DNA. (laughs) And they looked at him as if he were mad, for DNA had not yet been discovered. And the king said, where are Watson and Crick? We need them. Okay, maybe not exactly. So then the king said, bring me a sword. And this, tr- this part's actually happened. Bring me a sword. I and mean, this is almost as wild as the DNA thing, okay? Bring me a sword. So they brought the sword to the king and he gave an order. He said, cut the living child in two and give one half to one and one half to the other. And the woman whose son was alive was deeply moved out of love for her son and said to the king, please, my Lord, give her the living baby. Don't kill him. But the other said, neither I nor you shall have him. Cut him in two. And then the king gave his ruling. Give the living baby to the first woman. Don't kill him. She is his mother. And when all Israel heard the verdict the king had given, they held the king in awe. 
because they saw that he had wisdom from God to administer justice. Never in a million years would I have thought of doing that. You know, Solomon understood human nature and he said something that people must have thought he was nuts for saying because he understood human nature in a way that they didn't. And what he did was as effective as DNA testing that wasn't invented for you know, almost 3,000 years after that. That's the kind of wisdom that God had given Solomon. And that's the kind of wisdom uh, that God can give to us as well as we ask him for it. We live in a society that values knowledge. We talk about, uh, you know, the the World Wide Web, the Internet, and all the information that's available to us. You can find just about anything you want there. We send our kids to the best possible schools. We, We hire tutors so that they can learn what they need to learn. We want them to get into the best possible colleges so they can get the best education and gain the most knowledge that they possibly can have so they can get the best possible job and be a success in society. We firmly, in this country, we believe knowledge is power. And to some extent, that's really true. The more you know, the better off you are in general in many situations. But sometimes sometimes knowledge isn't enough. And being the smartest person in the room does not necessarily guarantee success. I heard a story uh, earlier this summer about a time when uh, Pastor Rich, who's one of the other pastors here at Renaissance, for those of you who are visiting with us, when uh, Rich was taking a a trip on a fairly small plane, I think it was like a four or five seater plane, and uh, he was with, there was the pilot, and then there was Rich, and there was a uh, Nobel Prize winning economist and a uh, a young girl, I think she was 15, 16, 17, high school, high school age girl. And so as they're going along, if you, if you have ever met Rich, you know that within five minutes, he knew everything there was to know about these two people. And, uh, you know, because he's just such an outgoing guy. And he got into a conversation uh, with this economist and they started going back and forth. And, you know, Rich was giving him a hard time about TARP and the bailout and, you know, unemployment and this sort of thing. And the economist is going back and things are getting a little heated. And Rich was really holding his own. I mean, it was pretty impressive that he was holding his own against this Nobel Prize winning economist. And in the middle of their argument, the pilot comes back and his face is just like pale. All the blood has drained out of his face. And he says, both engines have gone down. The plane is going to crash. We get about five minutes, and there are only three parachutes. And he says, I'm taking one of them. So he reaches up in the overhead bin, grabs one of the chutes, straps it on his back, and jumps out of the plane. So Rich and the economist and the girl, they are just stunned. They're like, what are we going to do? Why are you laughing? I mean, this is, a, this is like a sad story. I mean, someone's going to die. Okay. So the, so the economist turns and he says, hey, I'm the smartest man in the world. You know, I, I teach at the most prestigious university in the entire country. And I write a weekly column for the most read newspaper in the entire world. And I won the Nobel Prize for economics. I'm the smartest man in the world. I need one of those parachutes. And before Rich and the high school girl could react, he reaches up in the overhead bin, grabs one, sticks it on his back and jumps out of the plane. So the girl and Richard just kind of left looking at each other. 
And so after about 30 seconds, you know, Rich kind of gathers up his courage and, and he says, well, you know, I, I've lived a long life. Uh, God has been very gracious to me. I have been married uh, for many years to the most wonderful woman in the world, <laughs> you know, and I, I've gotten to see and hold my grandchildren. Just do me a favor. You take the shoot. Just promise me that you'll tell Charlene that I love her. You know, and that you could see the tear forming in the young girl's eye, you know. And she looks up at him and, and kind of blinks away the tears, and she says, Pastor Rich, that's so, that's so thoughtful of you, but you don't have to worry about anything. The smartest man in the world just jumped out of the plane wearing my backpack. <laughs> So there you go. Sometimes being the smartest man in the world isn't what you need, you know? We don't always need more knowledge. We need wisdom. Wisdom is the practical application of knowledge. It's taking what we know and applying it in in an intelligent way Uh, in our lives, which is exactly what Solomon did. He didn't know about DNA, but he knew about human nature, and he applied it in a way that still, 3,000 years later, we're looking and saying, man, that man was brilliant. How how wise was he? Think about the situations that that we find ourselves in uh, from time to time in our lives. You've got the opportunity to take a new job, your, your current job is fine, but you've got an opportunity to take a new job that's going to pay you more money, and it's going to give you a little bit more prestige, and it's got greater opportunity uh, for advancement. And that all sounds great, and that's a good thing. You, you know, earning more money is good, and, and advancing up the corporate ladder can be a good thing. The only catch is it involves a lot more travel, and so you're going to be away from your family more. What do you need? Do you need more knowledge or do you need wisdom to know, should I take this job or should I not? There's not necessarily a right and a wrong answer to that question. We can find, you know, chapter and verse in the Bible, thou shalt, you know, take this job only if, you know, and then you fill in the number of hours, the number of dollars or whatever it is. You need wisdom in that situation because there's not an obvious clear-cut answer. What about when you're worried about one of your kids? You know, she's, uh, she's struggling in school. Uh, maybe she's fallen in with the wrong crowd. Uh, you're worried that she might have a, a substance abuse problem or an eating disorder or, you know, who knows what. You can read all the books in the world. But what you really need is wisdom. Lord, how do I help my daughter? How do I help my son? Give me wisdom. That's what I need. Your best friend calls and she says, my marriage is falling apart. I don't know if I love him anymore. I don't think he loves me. What do I do? Again, you know, you could have read all the marriage help books in the world, but you can't just open a page and said, well, read this and it'll solve all of your problems. The knowledge is helpful and the ideas in those books can be helpful but ultimately, you need wisdom to be able to give good advice uh, to your friend. I think it was uh, just earlier this week, Thursday, Friday, the uh, SAT scores came out. A few of you are maybe high school seniors, you know. 
how do you make the decision as to which college I should go to? You know, you've applied to a, a dozen different schools. Uh, later on, you're going to hear back from those schools. And you may have a choice between two or three that are equally as good. Or maybe one that's a little bit better, but financially, it's going to be a little bit tougher to go there. How do you make the decision? You've read the Barron's book. You've read the Princeton Review book. You've read all the different books that are out there. You got all the knowledge that you need in order to make the decision, but knowledge isn't sufficient. You need wisdom in order to be able to make that decision. And the list goes on. Knowledge is important. Knowledge is essential. But often, what we really need is wisdom. And the question is, so where do we get that wisdom? How can we have the wisdom that's going to help us in everything from the huge decisions of life to the sort of everyday decisions that we run, to, run into on a day-to-day basis. Wisdom often comes from experience. You know, you live your life, you make some wise decisions, and you, those are reinforced in your life. You make some bad decisions, and you realize you can learn from those as well. Uh, early, you know, you guys know, many of you, earlier this summer, uh, I learned the wisdom of wearing a helmet when you're riding a bicycle. Now, I had the knowledge that said, wear the helmet. And fortunately, I applied that knowledge to my head, and I'm able to talk to you guys this morning because I was wearing a helmet when my head hit the ground. But at this point, I think it's transferred a little bit from knowledge to wisdom because I experienced that. And I can say now from personal experience, it is wise to wear that bicycle helmet. And if I see you riding on the street without a bicycle helmet, I will share with you from 50 yards away that you should be wearing that bicycle helmet. And in fact, uh, a few weeks ago, uh, one of the women here came up to me and said, would you please get my husband to wear his bicycle helmet when you're, you know, because I love him and he's not being wise, okay? So, you know, kind of a, a silly example there, but we can learn from our own experience and we can learn from the experience of others as well, both good and bad. Years ago, uh, I worked uh, for a company uh, doing computer work as a software engineer, and then I was a manager for a number of years. And uh, there was an old war horse named Bill who was my boss's boss's boss. And he was like the most intimidating guy uh, in the entire company. He would come up behind you as you're working on something, focusing and concentrating, and he would jingle his keys in his pocket or he'd have a bunch of quarters and he'd shake them just to, I don't know why, you know, why he was being a jerk like that, but that's what he would do, kind of, you know, intimidate you. And with me, you know, 20-something-year-old kid, it worked. So I was intimidated, you know, out of, out of my shoes uh, by this guy named Bill. Eventually, something happened, and I never found out what it was, but uh, if you've ever worked in corporate America, you may have seen this happen. He was kind of shuttled off to the side. He lost his managerial position, and he became sort of a, I don't know, a quasi-consultant within, uh, within our facility, and he was off on the side. I think it was because he was pretty close to retirement age, and out of respect for him, they decided to keep him on uh, for just a couple more years so that he could get his, uh, his retirement package. Anyway, he was no longer the intimidating guy that he used to be. So shortly after I became a manager, um, some incident happened, and I don't remember the details because it was relatively minor. At the time, it seemed pretty big to me, but, but now it was, it, you know, I look back and it was relatively minor. I'm walking down the hallway and I'm kind of muttering under my breath, you know, what's going on? And this is a horrible situation. And Bill approaches me and I'm like, oh, great, you know. So he says, what's going on? And I still don't know what possessed me to this day, but I I told him what the situation was. 
And he stopped and he looked at me and he said, you know what? You are absolutely right. And you could fight for that and you'll win because you're right and you've got all the information you need and you could win that battle. He said, but, but I want you to learn from my experience. Choose your battles carefully. And I was like, what? He says, choose your battles carefully. You could win this battle, but it's going to cost you. You're going to have to spend a lot of the capital that you've built up in order to win that battle. Is it really worth it? Is that what you want to do? Or do you want to save it for something that's more important? He said, I've learned that the hard way. I hope you don't have to learn it the same way that I did. Hearing that from this guy was one of the most effective ways for me to to, to get that piece of advice because here's a guy that was far above where I actually could ever hope to be uh, in the company and yet he got pushed aside probably, and I think he was kind of hinting, probably because he hadn't chosen his battles carefully. And I still remember to this day his advice, not the situation, but I still remember his advice and that was some great wisdom uh, that served me well over the years. So we can learn from our own experience, we can learn from the experience of others. But ultimately, ultimately, true wisdom comes from God. God is the ultimate source of wisdom because he's the wisest, wisest person, wisest being uh, in the universe. He's the creator. He knows everything, and he knows how to apply that knowledge in, in our lives. And he's a God who cares about us as well, and he wants to, to, to do us good. Unlike, you know, Rich's economist friend, God is really the smartest person in the world. And with that in mind, I want to share with you three different ideas for how you can apply this uh, to your life, how this can make a difference in your life on a day-to-day basis. First, continually ask God for wisdom. Continually ask God for wisdom. James chapter 1, verse 5, the apostle James writes, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. You wake up in the morning, maybe even before you open your eyes, certainly before you get out of bed, just say, God, give me wisdom for today. I don't know what the decisions I'm going to face today are going to be. I don't know what challenges are going to be brought into my life. I don't know who I'm going to encounter, but I know I'm going to need wisdom. And I know that I don't have the wisdom that I need for every situation, but you do. So Lord, just give me wisdom for this day. And then when you're in one of those situations, first thing, first thing you do, Lord, I need your wisdom now. I don't know what to do, but you do. Give me wisdom. And James says, God's not gonna find fault. He's gonna give wisdom generously. So just continually come before him and pray and say, Lord, give me wisdom because I know that that's what you want from me. So give me wisdom so that I can live my life in a way uh, that's pleasing to you. Second, and Rich has mentioned this on a number of occasions. I've mentioned it a few times. It's, it's a great idea, and some of you, I think, maybe uh, are probably already doing this. Read a chapter of Proverbs every day. Solomon, the wisest person except for God who ever walked on the earth, uh, wrote most of the Proverbs uh, in, in the book of Proverbs, and he compiled, he collected uh, the rest. 
Great way to get wisdom. Read one chapter a day and read the chapter. It's an easy way. to. You don't have to do this, but the easiest way I find is to pick the uh, chapter that corresponds to the date of the day. So tomorrow, November 1st, read chapter 1. The next day, read Proverbs chapter 2 and so on. If you skip a couple of days, fine. Pick it up wherever you left. You know, Just pick it up with whatever day it is and read the, the book of Proverbs that way. I think you'll find at the end of a month that you will have grown in wisdom. And if you do that every day throughout the year, you're going to find incredible change and incredible growth in your life. Another idea that's related to that, rather than, than feeling like you have to read the whole chapter every day, just read as far as you need to in, until something strikes you in there. Maybe it's verse 1 of, of that chapter, or maybe it's the 15th or the 20th or the 30th verse in that chapter. But it really strikes you. Stop, think about it, pray about it, Ask God to help you to apply it to your life that day. Lot, lot, uh, lot worse things that you could do in terms of how you would grow in wisdom. Uh, so reading Proverbs is a great way to do that. So continually ask God for wisdom. Read a chapter of Proverbs every day. And then finally, recognize that God is God and you are not. God is God and I am not. Rich mentioned this last week. Saul didn't get that. Solomon did. God is God, and I am not. Solomon puts it this way. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. The more that I embrace the fact that God is God, and I'm not, the more that I realize that He is the smartest man in the world, and I am not. The more that I recognize that he is the source of wisdom and that I need that wisdom because I don't have that wisdom, the more that I recognize that he has my best interests at heart, and so when he passes on his wisdom to me, it's for my good, and I need that. The more that I recognize that God is God, and and, and I am not, the more that I fear him, the more that I respect him, the more that I honor him, the more that I submit to him, the wiser I'm going to be. And the more my life is going to be the kind of life that's pleasing to him, the more that I'm going to make good decisions as opposed to stupid decisions, the more that I'm going to be able to look back and say, you know, I'm glad I made that choice. That was the right choice. And the less I'm going to look back and say, man, why in the world did I do that? So the more that I recognize that God is God and I am not, the wiser I'm going to be. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. We need knowledge We need wisdom, and God is the source of both. There is no better source of wisdom in the entire universe than the God who created heaven and earth and who is our Lord and our Savior and who loves us. Let me pray for us. Father, it's so hard for me at times to recognize that you're God and that I'm not. Um, Sometimes I feel like um, I need to be whacked upside the head in order to get that. But I thank you that you don't whack me upside the head very often. 
I thank you that uh, you gently prod me, and I thank you for the prodding uh, in, in the books of, of Chronicles and Kings as we're looking at Solomon's life and seeing the wisdom that you gave him. Father, I pray for myself, I pray for all of us here that we would continually turn to you. We would continually ask you wisdom, recognizing that you're going to give it generously, that you're not going to find fault with us for asking, but instead you're going to be excited that, you've a- that we have asked you for that wisdom. And Father, I pray that you would give us that wisdom and help us to take it, help us to respect you, help us to honor you, help us to submit to you and apply that wisdom in our lives. And Father, as we do, I pray that you would transform our lives, that you would use us as your instruments in the lives of those around us to be an encouragement and a blessing to them. And as you do, Father, I pray that you'd bring great glory to yourself because you are the only wise God the God of power, the God of knowledge, the God of wisdom, and the God of love and grace and compassion. We thank you in Jesus' name, amen.